This morning, we're going to be talking through what we're going to be doing every Tuesday morning to me. And uh, I'll tie that in to why we're doing uh, what we're doing. So every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we're going to be doing devotions together at least uh, at least once a week. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word devotion, but I, I, every time I hear the word, I go back to uh, uh, Pastor Brett Edwards, who was the man who helped disciple me. Uh, he is a, a pastor in, uh, in Texas uh, uh, right now, and uh, I, I was involved with his... Uh, uh, with his a lady I worked with, and her husband was a deacon at a local Baptist church, and he was on the pulpit committee. And I was helping them filter through tapes, and otherwise this is when they were still doing tapes to, uh, for preaching. And Anyway, Brett ends up at this church. It's not my church. It's a totally different church. And uh, um, I, he, he ended up being the man that, uh, that discipled me. And they invited, it was a Southern Baptist church, and uh, they invited him to the regional conference uh, um, as the new guy, and it was uh, like a volleyball tournament uh, for the area churches, and they invited him to do a devotion. And so he shows up to do a devotion. That's what they told him to do. And, and uh, he, uh, he said, well, I don't know exactly what that is. And they said, well, just do what you do. So he shows up, and of course they're all outside. They're expecting probably a you know a five and ten minute you know fluffing stuff. How you doing? Uh, you know, uh, read a passage of scripture or something like that. And uh, so they introduce him, and he gets up, and you just have to know Brett. He's he's one of those guys that is very unassuming, but whenever he speaks, it's like E. F. Hutton. I, I mean, he is just 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 clarity call. And he gets up there and he says, well, they've asked me today uh, to, to do a devotion. Um, I don't do devotions. All I know how to do is preach. And about 30 minutes later, uh, there were five individuals uh, bowing their knee in a pit of sand with a sand volleyball come to Christ. I don't know what you think about whenever you think about a devotion. Um, but at 6 a.m. on every Tuesday morning for an hour working through the, the Word of God, that's not, that's not fluffing stuff. Um, and if you've lived, I look around, most of you have lived for a, a fairly extended period of time. Um, you know that we don't need uh, just, just cotton candy, do we? I mean, life is tough, and there is a world uh, that's, that's out there that, that will eat your lunch. Um, and it's not only more only eat yours, it'll eat everybody else around you. And the answer, obviously, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we have the, the gospel, and we have, uh, we have the word. So we're going to be talking about what we're going to be doing um, every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Now, I know some of you uh, have said you have to leave you know, at 7 uh, the time that we have a lot of is from 6 a.m. to 7.30. Now, we're not going to go to 7.30 every single Tuesday. Um, we're going to work through and, and find a good stopping spot. So I'm guessing somewhere around 7, 7.15. But if you need to leave at any time, that's totally fine. Just just get up and, and do it. It's also, you know, uh, informal. So if you need to get up and go to the restroom, coffee, whatever, um, we'll, uh, uh, we'll obviously invite you to... Uh, 
to do that. We'll follow the same schedule that we do with, with small groups. So, uh, you know, during holiday times when it comes to December, uh, times that are high traffic areas with, uh, with other church events, uh, we, won't be, we won't be doing this, but we'll give you the schedule whenever we, uh, whenever we come. So uh, I've been praying for you and uh, for my own soul. I have been doing Grace and Granite in my personal devotions for, for quite some time. And we talked about uh, a men's ministry and how we could uh, uh, how we could launch something like that uh, in our context. And, and we had a men's retreat a couple years ago, uh, several uh, men's retreats. And out of that came uh, Iron Men. Um, so we had a, a several small groups of men that were meeting. And it was a it was a natural thing that came out of our men's retreat. How do we follow up from that? How do we continue to to, to walk? That we continue to put in practice uh, what the Lord was doing in our hearts there. And so we started doing that in the evenings, and they were in different homes, and we had four of them going. Um, and then when our church started doing small groups on Wednesday nights, um, they, they, it was competing for, you know, for time. And, and we felt like it was in the best interest of our church for, for the small group ministry. Um, and so individual discipleship happens. It's still happening. There are men that meet on Saturday morning. There are men that meet in a, in a smaller group on Wednesday. Uh, the, the group that Richard Jett uh, actually started, some of you uh, participate in that, 10 men as they call themselves. They said they're not iron men. They don't meet at night. They're 10 men. They meet during, you know, during the day. Um, uh, a number of you are doing one-on-one discipleship, one-on-three, one-on-five. All of that should continue. This is a place and a time where we can all gather together, um, encourage one another, drink out of the same well, uh, and do that in a, you know, in a, in a systematic way. So uh, that's what, uh, what our task uh, is. The curriculum, what we're going to be going through, the curriculum is the Bible. We have a guide, which is, which is what you have in front of you uh, there. Um, it's uh, it's something that that I've uh, went through, as I said, something that we've used, uh, and we use it at our a number of our TES churches, um, and so it's very faithful uh, material, and we'll um, we'll work through that together. It's designed though that you can come in and out. So maybe you heard uh, uh, you you looked at the book and you said that's pretty thick, or you heard three years. Uh, don't let that scare you. You're able to come in. Uh, inject and, and eject and you'll be able to pick up where you left off and we'll actually walk you through the skeletal system of the of the book this morning but um, before we get there I'm going to open in word prayer and then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna set the stage with a uh, with a little video uh, over here that's you know maybe three or four minutes long and uh, and what's your appetite okay let's go to the word prayer Father, we are here uh, this morning um, as men. We're here this morning as uh, followers of Christ. We have uh, we've opened our eyes today because of your grace. We have uh, we have a day that's marked out ahead of us that you have ordained. You have written in your book. It's the day that you've made, and we're told to rejoice in it. We rejoice in it, not because of the troubles and the trials, but because you made it, and you are God, and you are seated in the in the heavenlies. And we have access to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I thank you for the privilege to be able to, to open my eyes today to breathe. I thank you for the privilege to be able to pray, um, to use the faculties and the abilities that you have given me uh, to serve you. There is no greater purpose on the planet, Lord, than to serve you and uh, to make Christ known to others. So thank you. Thank you for these men that have uh, expressed their love for you of coming here this morning. Uh, love is not just what we say, it's what we do. And uh, they have they've made it uh, they've been intentional to be able to be here. So I pray that you bless them. And I pray that you would give us a good start to, uh, to what we're doing. Lord, we we simply want to be men that are filled with your grace and, and men that are filled with theological steel that we might be able to be good uh, bond slaves of you, servants uh, of, the, of the Most High God. Uh, grant us the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Um, God, we can do nothing without you. Uh, I plead, Lord, with you this morning that you would grant us faith, you would grant us eyes to see, that you would would draw from your word, you would help us to understand it, Uh, you would turn the light bulb on in areas that that may have been dark, you would uh, convict us uh, of sin, you would convince us of your righteousness, you would would encourage us, you would fill us with joy, you know the specific needs of the heart, Um, and you have promised that your word will work if we'll come and place ourselves under your word. So we do that this morning humbly. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Johnson at a, uh, a Shepherds Conference breakout session, and it is, uh, I think, really sets the tone for uh, for what we're doing. And he's talking about men in general and the church, and something that's taken place in the church over over the last several decades. So I want you to listen carefully, and then we'll. Several books have been written analyzing the feminization of evangelical churches. I gave a lengthy message on that very subject two years ago to Grace Church Men's Conference, and that message is online if you want to download it. I'll forewarn you, a lot of people got offended by what I had to say, which is a totally new experience for me. But I think it's an incontrovertible fact that the typical evangelical church of this generation has become weak and womanly. Churchgoers demand that their preachers be soft and dainty, especially when they're dealing with hard-edged truths. If you don't sufficiently tone down every severe text or hard-to-receive doctrine in the Bible, you can bet the tone police will write you up for that infraction before you can get from the pulpit to the front door. You know, all the rough edges of every truth have to be carefully sanded smooth and painted in pastel tones. We've traded up to, you know, cushy seats and instead of hard bench pews, 
And we expect our preachers to fashion their message accordingly. None of this sinners in the hands of an angry God stuff. And instead, today's evangelicals favor feminine themes. You know, let's talk about our emotional hurts, our personal relationships, our felt needs. We're hurting people. And the church has begun to look weak and effeminate, frightened, sissified, like a bunch of fops and milksops. And we're supposed to be soldiers. We are told relentlessly that we have to be always agreeable no matter what, you know? Seeker sensitive, gender neutral, effervescent, transparent, sentimental, and delicate in everything we say and do. Those sound like rules for figure skaters, not warriors. <laughs> figure skaters and not not warriors. So what does the Bible say? How does the Bible uh, cast discipleship? What words you know does it does it use? Do we believe this or not? Oh thank you. Do we believe that is uh, another good one that we'll probably watch it at some point. Why don't you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because quite frankly, gentlemen, I have no desire whatsoever to get out of bed. I have no desire to put forth any effort. I have no desire to do anything um, just to waste just to waste time. And I'm not here. I can do my devotions on my own. Um, and uh, I have no desire to come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or do a men's thing on on uh, on on Tuesday morning or individual discipleship. If if what that actually looks like is is what Phil was was describing there, um, we need men, and we need men of God. Um, we don't need a, a worldly characterization uh, of uh, you know the the macho. Uh, beat somebody over the head with, uh, you know, with a club and drag them off. But we also don't need a bunch of sissified, you know, effeminate guys that are pretending that that's what Jesus looked like. Uh, I can promise you, Jesus was not a milk toast guy. You don't live outdoors in Israel for over three years and go through the things that he did and, and be that way. So, what does the Bible say? How does the Bible describe? Um, Discipleship. What does it look like to, to follow Christ? And you can go to a number of different places, but first, oh, sorry, Second Timothy, um, chapter one. The Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, gives us some some words, some some descriptive terms. And in verse eight, he tells Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of the of the Lord. Um, and I want you to notice this theme that's developing. He says uh, in verse 8, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the, according to the power of God. Join me in 
suffering for the gospel. Suffering is not a very weak term, is it? And then, look a little bit further. Paul tells us why he's able to do that. Look at verse 11. He says, For I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the testimony. I'm not ashamed to to suffer. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. I have conviction. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm thoroughly convinced of that. And Paul's going to say that that gives him that gives him the granite that that he needs in order to suffer. Two words, twice he's talked about suffering, and he is able to guard that which I've entrusted him until the day. So so he knows who he's believed, and he's convinced, he's convicted, he's he's sure, and he's sure that the one that he's believed in is able to guard what he's entrusted to him until that day. And he says, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in faith and in and in love. Guard through the Holy Spirit, which dwells in us. This treasure which has been entrusted to you, you have been entrusted a treasure. And that treasure is the gospel. Now look, if you would, at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is going to go further and say some things to, to Timothy that plays into our theme. You, therefore... Now, he's been talking about himself. He's been suffering. He's suffering twice. He's not ashamed, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of people that, that don't want to, to follow, because he, he knows who he's believed, and he's convinced. He's, he's convicted. He has, he has conviction. And therefore, that brings courage, because, because he knows and now he's going to turn to Timothy. You, therefore, you see in those very first two words in chapter 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in grace. And the title of our, of our little handout book there is Grace and Granite. And here is one of the theme verses. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. Be strong in grace. Now, if you think about those two words, they almost seem like they they, they, they contradict. Strength and grace. Grace kind of kind of seems grace is what God does for you. Grace is, is is something outside of yourself. Grace is what you need. But it says be strong in grace. So you have this this grace, and then you have this this granite, this strength that Paul is commanding Timothy to be strong, and he's to be strong in. In grace, so we're not talking about strength that's in you, strength that's in your your you know, human abilities, or strength in your hairy man, or whatever it is, top of a term that you want to use. It's strength in grace. It's strength that comes from God. It's 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 the granite that comes from from God. It's granite that comes from that that grace. And then he says, the things which you have heard. Where is this strength? And what's the strength going to come from? And what's the source of that grace? That grace that is in Christ Jesus. The grace that comes from Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Now what did Timothy hear from Paul? He heard the faith that was once delivered. He heard the gospel. And it wasn't Paul's 
um, little deal. It wasn't Paul's uh, um, own personal stuff. This was public. This was orthodox truth. And it was... It was confirmed. It was in the presence of many witnesses. And you're to entrust that, entrust these things, these truths, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And there's the what's typically called the discipleship passage. Suffer hardship. Now watch how Paul then begins to give him commands. And there's nothing uh, figure skater about these words. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. He doesn't get entangled. You have to live in everyday life, but but he doesn't get entangled. He doesn't get bogged down in those things because because you're a warrior, you're a soldier. It's active duty. You're not in the reserves. You're not in the Christian reserves. This is active duty. There's a war going on around you. And unfortunately... It will continue until the Lord Jesus returns. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You've been enlisted as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, so the first illustration that he gives to, to you know what does a Christian man look like? What are you supposed to, to do? You're to be strong and you're to be strong in the grace. That grace comes from Christ and that grace is going to come from the faith that was once delivered to you. What Paul delivered to Timothy in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy actually delivered that to faithful men and those faithful men delivered it and on and on and on and that's what we're still doing this morning. But what does it look like? Well, it looks like being a soldier in active duty. Um, and it also looks like being a competitive athlete. Um, I'm always amazed at the effort that athletes put forth for to be able to accomplish their, their goals. I mean, everybody wants to either watch or everybody wants to be the guy with, you know, two seconds left on the clock that hits the three-pointer and wins the game. Um, and sometimes that happens. But the guy who's able to do that I guarantee you, has shot that three-point shot a thousand times over and over and over. He's practiced. I mean, in that moment of glory, there is hours. There are hours and hours and hours and hours of practice that, that's, that's behind it. And in your moment of, of testing and in the moment of your life, there has to be hours and hours and hours of practice or you're going to fall flat on your face or I'm going to fall flat on which is why you're here this morning. So he says, like a soldier, like a competitive athlete, there's nothing soft and cuddly about either one of those words. It's hard. It's hard work. And yet there is tremendous, tremendous reward. Verse 5, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. You can do it your own way. There's a lot of people, a lot of churches trying to do that, but we do it God's way, which is according to the Scriptures. And he gives one more that you probably familiar with the hardworking farmer. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with with farming. I grew up, we had 50 head of cattle, and my uncle, who Bailey is named after, um, that's all he did in so life, Bailey. Lloyd is an Englishman. Uh, 
uh, in the hills of West Virginia, probably a thousand acres. I have no idea how many head of cattle he had or how many head of sheep he had, but that's that's what he did. And I can still remember him putting up hay with him whenever I was young, and he stacked hay, you know, where you put the pole and then you take it and you stack it. There's none of this machine or rolling, you know, stuff. And of course, West Virginia is not a really flat place. So, you know, the, the, the joke is in West Virginia, one leg shorter than the other one because you're always on the hillside. And I can remember him watching him walk thousand acres of field. And I can I just see him out there in the distance. He had a mattock. And he would walk along with the mattock and, and he would just lift it up and he'd let it fall and he'd, and he'd pop the, the uh, multiflora rose, which is like the briar bushes, on the, on the very steep hillsides that the brush hog couldn't get. And almost all of his clothes were, were faded. Uh, there was no color to them. And it was where he would sweat. Um, this guy is, is a hard worker. Uh, farming is, is not easy. This is a very, very uh, austere, difficult image. A hardworking farmer. But that hardworking farmer is first to receive the share of his crops and the competing athlete actually wins a prize and the soldier is is able to to come to the end of the war and and be thankful that he that he didn't advocate um, that he didn't leave that he didn't run from the front lines and if so he typically receives a medal or a prize so you, so you have these two things going a, a very uh, hard Difficult uh, picture, not soft, not easy, but tremendous reward that that comes. Um, and look at how he ends verse seven. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in in everything. Be strong in the grace. So strength and, and grace. And we're here to build men into the image of Christ. That's why I'm here. I want to become a man of God. I want to become a greater man of God than I am. I want to, I want to be stronger in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And I need the Word of God and the Spirit of God and I need the Church of God in order to be able to, to do that. I need you men. Um, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because you say, well, is this the only place that there's this grace and granite, this strength and grace? No. It's all through the New Testament. First Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness, suffering and boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. There's the warfare and the suffering motif. Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not pleasing men, but, but pleasing God. 
I mean, your task in life is not to please men, but to please God. And you'd be tempted on a regular basis to please men. We like the praise of men. We like to be well thought of. We, we don't like to look bad. Um, and yet, a godly man, a man that is after Christ, a man that you see modeled here in the Apostle Paul's life, is, is one who, who doesn't fear men, he fears God. But look, if you would, at verse 7. There's the strength part. There's the granite part. But look at the grace part here. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. (coughs) Having so fond affection. What, What does he mean? Does he mean be feminine? No. He uses the example of a nursing mother, and then he describes in verse 8 how that, how that plays out. Having so fond affection for you, that we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. So the picture he gives there is a mother with a child. The child is so dear to the mother, she is willing to give her very life for that child and all of her time. Um, and so Paul here says he has fond affection so you have grace and yet that grace is steeled it it has granted look if you would at verse 9 for you recall brethren he comes back to the strength part our labor and hardship how working night and day and verse 13 gives Paul's purpose, the reason that he's doing this is the very same thing that he told Timothy in 2 Timothy. I'm giving you the gospel of God, and you're to take that truth and that was once delivered and pass it on to others. Why is Paul uh, suffering? Why is he speaking not pleasing men to God? Why is, he, why is he willing to impart not only the gospel, but his own life like a nursing mother, labor and hardship? For this reason, verse 13, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but what it really is the word of God which performs its work in you so he's passing on the word of God and as he does God works because the word does the work the work's not going to be done through me the work's not going to be done through this book the work's going to be done through the Bible and through the through the Holy Spirit so no fancy-dancy gimmicks or anything else. Men of God and the Word of God that believe that this is the Word of God, not the Word of, of a man. And when we do that, then God will perform His work. And the Word of God always works. And it does two things. It is a two-edged sword. And it exposes you. And it either softens you Works faith, works repentance, it softens you, it does its work, it tills the ground, it plants the seeds, it brings forth the the fruit that's there, or it hardens you. The ministry that God gave Isaiah in Isaiah 6 that we love, you know, here am I, Lord, send me. Have you read the rest of that? You know what God called Isaiah to do? An entire life of ministry where he says you're going to preach and your preaching is going to harden people. Nobody's going to believe. Nobody's going to repent. Your work is to reveal and expose the hardness of the hearts of Israel. That's what Isaiah 6 
it says his ministry, and it was. It has two words. And um, we obviously wanted to tell our hearts and and bear and bear fruit. So we're calling this men of grace and and, and granite. And just in the time that, that we have today, I wanna I wanna talk about uh, how we how we plan uh, to do that um, and to do that together. <clears throat> My uh, experience of, of discipleship, um, I was saved, and I knew nothing. Now, I don't know a whole lot now, and I'm not just saying that. I mean, it really is true. The more that you study and the more you understand about God, the less you realize that you know. I mean, it is just, it's as deep as, as, as the Mariana Trench and, and then some. And then, even once you begin to learn some information, you'll realize that you have no idea how to put that information into practice. Or you'll realize you know the information and you know how to put it into practice, but your heart is proud or fighting against you or you lack holiness or integrity or, or whatever it is. So it's, it's, it, it's constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. But when I got saved, I was in my early 20s, and I, I couldn't have told you the Old Testament from the from the New Testament. That was 1990, 1994, um, September 24th. And um, I didn't know anything. But the Lord brought me to salvation. Brought me to the end of myself. I didn't have any place else to look but up. And the Lord literally had to bring that. If God had not brought me to where, at the point I was, where Tracy and I were just a few weeks away from divorce, um, to where he just crushed me. I I would have figured some way to wiggle out from under, you know, the conviction of God and tried it my own way. I mean, he literally had to bring me to the place where I, I, I was at an end of you know of my of myself. And I don't know. I didn't know any Bible. I didn't know any prayers to pray. I didn't know anything. But I knew that what the preacher was saying and the gospel that I was hearing was you know was true. And I bowed the knee. I, I, I went forward, and uh, I don't remember what I said. You know, Lord, save me. I was saved before I ever walked out of the, you know, walked out of the pew, um, where I was willing to to submit, surrender, make Christ Lord, and and receive the you know, the grace of, of Jesus. And, and then I remember, I don't know what to do. I mean, I'd never been in church, and I'm listening to. I mean, I'm this 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 really weird amalgam of of redneck to you know corporate guys. So I'm a vice president for Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield by day, and then I'm riding four wheelers, dipping Copenhagen snuff, and listening to Hank Williams Jr. on in the evenings and the weekends in Led Zeppelin. I mean, now how you get that? I have no idea, but that's what I was. You know, drink beer, do all of the things that pagans do to find little idols to salve their conscience and help them make it through life when they don't have God. That's what I did. I'd never been in church. Um, so, I mean, one of my first experiences was going to church and there was a trio singing that night. I didn't know what a trio was. And, you know, they sang these songs about, about Jesus. I mean, there wasn't, there was no worship wars in my heart or in my mind because I, I mean, I was listening to all this other stuff and, and I was like, okay, this is, this, you know, I just want to be around God's people, hear God's word. I'm saved, I'm clean, I feel it, and, and I'm just thankful to, you know, to, to be here. 
And I can just remember after the period of, of, of just knowing my sins were forgiven, I just want to grow. I want to learn. I want to know more. Uh, I want to do what I'm supposed to do. I, 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 want to, I want to know what I'm supposed to do, and I want to do it right. Uh, I mean, I knew what my life was like whenever, whenever I, I, I was in the driver's seat. But I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do. So I can remember just watching. You know, I'd read the Bible. I'd listen to what the preacher would say. I'd, I'd you know, and, and I couldn't find anything. I remember uh, my mother bought my first Bible, and um, the the uh, the cover of it is in a is in a shadow box in my office. The first one I started preaching from, and she, I, the only thing I told her was uh, buy the Bible with those little tabby things in it, so I can find where to turn because I don't know where to turn. Whenever the you know the pastor says turn to First Corinthians, I don't know whether that's in the Old Testament or New Testament. And I'm listening to him, and he's preaching, and um, and then in our service on Sunday nights, it was similar to what we do on Wednesday nights. There'd be prayer requests, and then we would pray together. And I can just remember if I was supposed to pray, but I can remember closing my eyes, and I would I learned who to get next to, and I would just sit there and I would listen to whoever it was praying because I didn't know how to pray, I didn't know what to say. And that's talk to God. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay. But there's got to be more. I mean, I don't know what to say to God other than my needs. So I'd get next to, you know, one of the older guys or guys that looked like they were godly or looked like they knew what they were doing, and I'd just listen. Um, and any time, any minute that my pastor would give me an opportunity to get with him, I got with him. And I'd ask him a question. You know, and I'd listen to the sermons. I'd pursue. I wouldn't just come there and say, you know, hope to get something. And I wanted to know. I genuinely had a hunger, the Bible says. And that's actually an evidence of salvation. You understand that your Sunday school teacher or your pastor, their job is not to make you hungry or thirsty. The evidence of salvation is that you are hungry. You you yearn for the sincere milk of the word. It's their job to feed you. It's not their job to make you hungry. So this idea that that somehow the dog and pony show is supposed to inspire you or a sermon is supposed to inspire you, you ought to already be inspired by the word of God. That's the evidence of salvation. They just fulfill that inspiration by giving you the, ins- the inspired word of God. I mean, that's, that's what it looks like. So that's what's happening. I just want more. And if the doors were open, I was there. It had nothing to do with, you know, being a good Christian. I wanted to be there. And in life, you'll you'll find, this is a true statement, you do what you want to do. You find a way to do what you want to do. You find a way to make happen. Like this morning, okay? You could be anywhere else, but you wanted to be here. So you came. Praise the Lord. You find a way. So I just, just would be there. And I'd ask questions. But my pastor was by vocation. He drove a school bus early in the morning and then and in the and in the evening, and uh, I wanted to spend more time with him than than he had uh, to spend uh, with me. And it was a church that didn't have a grace and granted, and it wasn't expositional. There wasn't doctrine. There, my pastor had never been to seminary. Good man, I love him to this day. I can hear his voice, and my heart just fills with with you know with with joy. And he encouraged me to to get training. At some point, because he didn't have it, and he, and he wished that he had an opportunity to, to do it. And I, I, I remember he, had, he, I would say, Joe, be my Paul. I, w- I want to be your Timothy. Teach me. And so he'd spend all the time that he could, but you know, but 
but he couldn't. And, and so I would listen, and I would put these pieces together, and there was a lot of trial and error, as I say. Um, there was a whole lot of trial because of a whole lot of error. No one ever put the, the, the picture together. Um, for those of you who remember felt boards in Sunday school, Betty Lucan's felt board, I've used this example a lot. I've got all of the pieces. I'm listening to a sermon, okay, and I kind of see the Moses guy, and I kind of hear about salvation by faith, grace, and, you know, I, I hear about, you know, be, be strong the grace of the Lord, and, you know, and suffering. So i got all these pieces, but I don't have the backdrop. I don't have the panorama. I don't have the big picture. I don't, I don't, have the, I don't know where to put them. I just got them all. So sometimes, you know, Moses is mixed up with Paul and, you know, grace is mixed up with suffering and, and I don't know what to do with it. And it wasn't until someone sat me down and, and, and showed me what I later found out was called biblical theology, that, there, that there's a storyline from Genesis to Revelation, panorama of the Bible, the big picture, where I actually saw where Moses went and I actually saw where, where Christ was at and I actually saw where the doctrines of the Bible and so Joe doesn't have time to do that or know how to do that and that's where Brett Edwards came in and I remember going to him he's not my pastor so I asked my pastor and my pastor said sure yeah love to do that we had a relationship so I go to brother Brett and I say will you disciple me and he kind of does the uh, yeah but I'm not going to waste my time so you want to be discipled, this is what it looks like. Um, don't waste my time. I've got plenty of other people who are hungry for the Word of God. So, But if if you want to and you're hungry and you want to learn, then you show up. It's kind of like the you know the Marine, the few good men speech. Um, you know. And uh, so I, I did. We met once a week and we memorized the passage together and, and we read two pass we read two chapters a day out of the Bible together, and there was a booklet that went along with it. And uh, some of the sweetest times of my life. And I've been doing that ever since. Doing that with other men, doing that with my own heart. And that's basically what we're doing. We're doing devotions together, but they're not fluff and stuff devotions. And um, we're trying to build, to become men of, uh, filled with grace and, uh, and with, with, with granite. So, what is our process? Uh, we're going to meet together. We're going to then, out of these, this once a week meeting, as we're walking through these topics and these doctrines and, and these principles and these topical, practical uh, discussions, you're then going to continue to meet one-on-one and doing what you're doing, and this is just going to permeate your hearts and talk about it at home and you're going to talk it with your wife and with your kids and you're going to talk about it with other people in the church and, and then God's going to do going to do his work as, as he does the work so our process our tool though is is the Bible and uh, in this book so what I want you to do now is open to the table of contents notice that this is laid out in 17 different series. 
series one is obviously where we're going to start, and it it starts with foundational convictions. What if, if you want to be a man of God, you want to be a faithful man, you want truth committed to you, you want to be a man that's that's strong in the grace of the Lord, a, a man of grace and granite. Then there's some foundational convictions that we have to talk about. The church has a foundation. Your faith has a foundation. And we're going to talk about some of those foundational convictions. Then we're going to talk about discipleship. Because after you lay the foundation, then you start practicing it. You start building on that. And what does discipleship actually look like? We're talking about the raw materials that you need for both. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about the process, the painful process, and yet the rewarding process of, of making granite out of clay. You're clay. I'm clay. Want to be, we want to be hardened, not in heart, but in, but in truth. So that's kind of uh, you know, laying the foundation, if you will. And then we're going to get in and just jump right into uh, being a man of God. What does that look like? A man of prayer, a man who flees temptation, a man who fears the Lord, a man of humility. And I want to warn you, uh, and there's two ways that you can do this. You can keep all this at a distance. And, and just and show up, you know, or you can draw it in and open up your you know your heart and let God do His work. I would say if you're going to keep it at a distance, don't even show up. You know, just stay in bed. But if you want to open up your heart, it, it's going to cut you, <laughs> and yet it's also going it's also going to heal you. It's also going to work. Um, I mean, I've done this. This is this is convicting stuff. I'm. I'm, I'm thanking the Lord, I'm repenting to the Lord, I'm thanking the Lord, I'm repenting, and then I'm practicing. Uh, humility, contentment, a man of honesty, you speak the truth in your heart. And I just speak the truth outwardly. Are you a man who has no guile? You speak the truth in your heart. All that you really are, it's who you are alone before God, what God sees, not what other people see. That's what Paul says, right? He doesn't please many, he pleases God. You please God in your heart, you please God in your thoughts, you please God in, in, in your moral purity. Study 7, a man of moral purity. Uh, a lot of people you know, long for the Lord to do more and they don't get anything out of the sermons and they don't get anything out of their devotions because you're not morally pure. The pure in heart shall see God. Uh, I can remember listening to uh, John Piper once. I don't remember what the message was. And he quoted that. He said, I mean, you're going to watch Game of Thrones? You're going to watch some of the other garbage on TV? And think, you know, I don't, I don't look at porn, but, but you'll watch you know, R-rated stuff, that, that kind of stuff, and you're going to expect to see God? You're going to expect to see God in the Word when you're defiled like that? It's the pure in heart that's going to see God. And you and I live in a world where that is just everywhere, all the time. And, and you say, well, well that, that's, you know, that, that's the deck stacked against me. Yeah, it is. So, so you need to fight. <laughs> you need to be a good soldier. You need to be a, a competitive athlete. You need to be a hardworking farmer. You need to be a man of grace and a man of, of granite. And a man who treasures Christ. You, you can put all of the rules in the world you want to you, know, you get covenant eyes. You know you can have somebody else look at your taxes. You know you you can do whatever, but if you don't treasure Jesus Christ, 
just going to be a system. Is he your treasure? I mean, is he your treasure? Is he like the man? Are you like the man who found the treasure in the field um, and then went and sold all that he had to possess that treasure? Is Jesus the the one pearl of, of great price? I, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. But you're always going to come back to your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's not just a money passage. <laughs> where you, where your heart is, that's what you're going to treasure. And are you a man who speaks the truth? What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. Um, we'll be a long time in series one and, and two. And then we'll talk about, okay, uh, outside of a man, but ministry, how, how should we do ministry? Does the church function? What, what are we really here to do? Church for God's glory. We'll talk about the peril of doing it a way other than other than God's manufacturing growth. Uh, I still remember being at a shepherd's conference when when this very simple concept of MacArthur said having a crowd or having a big church is no indication whatsoever of success. I can draw a crowd. You get dancing ladies and pink elephants, and I can draw a crowd. That, that's not a point. And then he took me to, to Luke 14, where it says that Jesus has a massive crowd following him. That's what you want, right? A massive crowd. He's got a crowd, and Jesus is walking ahead, and this crowd is following him and the disciples. Literally thousands of people. And the text says he stops, and he turns to the crowd, who's following him and says if any man will not hate father, brother, brother, sister, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on, if you don't sell all that you have, you know, you cannot be my disciple. Three times he says you cannot be my, be my disciple. That's not a very good church growth method. If you want superficial growth, you can have a big church, you can have all the bells and whistles in the world. I hear people all the time. There are two reactions when people come to Timberlake Baptist Church and I rejoice over it. I hate this place. I'm never coming back. I hate the music. The sermons are boring. Or I've been to 17 different churches and I finally found food. Praise God. I don't want in the middle. Away with the wishy-washy stuff. I hate this place because I hate the truth. Or I'll do anything because I found the truth. Um, And hopefully that's the response of you know, your heart. I don't want manufactured growth. Mushrooms grow in manure. Um, <laughs> I like mushrooms. I like to eat them, but that's not the kingdom of God. Um, unity and leadership, building unity and divided leadership. How do you deal with conflict? So that'll be conflict in your home, conflict in the church, whatever. You know, an introduction to biblical hermeneutics, inductive Bible study, or what are the rules? There are rules. To rightly interpret the script, you can understand your Bible. Listen, I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. Don't tell me you can't understand the Bible. You can understand the Bible. It was written for you to be able to understand. You just need to learn the rules of the game. Just like you weren't good at basketball. Well, I'm still not good at basketball, but at least I know the (laughs) rules of the game. You can get good. (laughs) Hermeneutics. Um, We'll talk about how to develop. A lesson or listen to a lesson. Um, expository preaching. 
what do you sit under? What do you do? This will be very applicable to you. And then we'll get into shepherding families, the family that God blesses, reversing the curse in marriage. Um, cultivating forgiveness in the home, peacemaking in the home, the heart of anger, fathers in the home. And we'll talk about biblical counseling and personal discipleship, soul care. Series 9, uh, spiritual gifts. Um, you'll run into people right here in Lynchburg that believe they're getting words from the Lord and drive down the road and a, and a apostle whatever and prophetess whoever. Um, it's not just out there in fruits and nuts land in California. It's right here, it's everywhere. It's in Paul's day. So, what does the Bible say? You know about fruit of the spirit, spiritual gifts, faithfulness, um, serving. We'll talk about the miraculous gifts. We'll talk about the dangers of false teachers. I don't like Joel Osteen. His personality, I just don't like his personality. He's exactly what Phil Johnson was talking about there. But but that's not the reason I preach against Joel Osteen. I preach against Joel Osteen because he doesn't preach the gospel. He's a false teacher. So you can not like somebody, or you can like somebody a whole lot. There's people that I like and I they're enjoyable to listen to, but they don't preach the gospel. So we'll talk about the dangers of false teaching. He's a dangerous man. It's a dangerous man. Uh, Joyce Myers is a dangerous woman. She's not just somebody that's you know, off a little bit. Um, we'll see what the Bible has to say. We're not going to focus on the individuals. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about the dangers. Um, we're going to give a brief overview of church history. Uh, where are we at in the continuum? Um, that's going to help you see that from Christ there's a clear stream of doctrines that, that we still believe today. You're going to watch the church get to one side of them or the other and all the issues that happen. And yet we're going to see that we stand in a long line of godly men that believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, we're going to talk about church membership and discipline, divorce and remarriage, the role of women in the church. We're going to talk about music, church leadership, and, and we'll even throw in some how do you navigate the gray areas, the areas that there's not a specific command or prohibition, the role of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we'll even get into some some dating relationships and things like that. And that's where we are where we're going over the over the time. If uh, if you'll turn to series one, I'm going to give you an assignment for for next time. Um, Developing churchmen. You're a churchman. You are, you are a churchman. And we're developing ones that are courageous. And so we're, we start with talking some, about some foundational convictions. And the purpose is to drive home some of those foundations. What do you really believe? Well, what you really believe is, is shows up in your life. You give me long enough time to examine the way a person lives or what they do, what they practice in their life, and I'll be able to back into and show you what they believe. And then you show me what somebody believes, and I'll show you that there is an authority 
that they're getting that from. For a Christian, I don't have to convince you that the Bible is your authority because if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. I mean, the Lordship of Christ, He is both Lord and Christ, and this is His Word. So that's our authority. And from that authority comes our beliefs, what we believe. Now, we might not understand everything from that authority. We're developing those beliefs, but then we're putting them into practice. What do you really believe? What you put into practice. Do you really believe the church is important? Do you really believe it's fundamentally important? Then you'll participate in it. Do you really believe that the Bible is sufficient? Well, that will show up in, in where you turn and how you how you live out your, your life. And we're going to drive home some of those convictions. I mean, it is going to be my desire to put a stake on your heart and get the biggest mallet I can possibly find and drive it into your spine to where it never, ever leaves and pray that the Holy Spirit keeps it there and in the process in my own heart. These convictions are what help <clears throat> give men the courage to stand on the truth and then vigorously apply it in their lives. And this portion of the training is intended to help build a stronger commitment to the the bride of, of Christ. Um, we did a great service, we being Baptist and uh, Protestants, fundamentalists, of pointing out that salvation doesn't come through the church or through your family, like a, a, a preaching against Catholicism, that there's a religious system. Um, so we emphasize the personal relationship that it's you and God. You're going to stand alone before God. You've got to decide what, who Jesus is to you. But in that process, we, we lost some of the, the, the unity aspect, the church aspect. Um, we need one another. We need the church. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. It's not you and God. Um, it's you're part of the body of Christ. Under elders, under the word. Exactly what we're doing this morning. So we're talking about how those convictions tie to a bride of Christ. So um, for next week, uh, I, I just use this as my devotion. So what do I do? I just take the Bible passages for study, and I just begin looking those up. In addition to my uh, my Book of Psalms, I just look up First Peter one three, Psalm 19, 2 Timothy 2, 2. I just begin reading those and I'm thinking, okay, these Bible passages are for study under the topic of foundational convictions. So what about that has to do with the church? What about that has to do with foundation? What does that have to do with about developing convictions? What does it say about that? Um, and then I want you to just look over uh, you know, 1, 2, and, and 3 because it's probably about as far as we'll get uh, next time. Um, more importantly, I want you to look up the Bible passages. If you don't have time to do the one, uh, two, and three, uh, we're going to go over that. But what will greatly help you is if you know these passages before you get here. We've already got a launching pad. But that's what we're going to be about. We have a full room this morning. So next week, uh, we'll find out who the real men are and who's not. <laughs> so now I'm
I'm going to get emails from people who are telling me, I, I'm going to be on vacation next week. I'm going to be out there. I don't want to be a sissy. Amen. I don't want to be a sissy either. Yes. Do you have a question? I was wondering, is there going to be uh, something like this for the women? Yeah. They're working on uh, uh, a women's program as well. And the other thing I'll say is we're going to be recording this, so if you miss it, if you say, I have to miss it because I'm on whatever, but I'm going to inoculate myself from being a theological sissy by listening to it, even though I'm gone. All right. Any other comments, questions? Excited? I'm excited. All right, let's pray. Father, we've done what you have commanded us to do. You have answered our prayer. We've looked at your word, we've heard your word, and there's no magic in us or in our system, but there is great power in you. And I pray that you would build our faith, faith to believe, faith to be men that are filled with the grace that's in Christ Jesus, help us to know the gospel, understand the gospel, apply the gospel. Turn us into men that are strong in a brand. Um, help us to be like good soldiers, competing athletes, and hardworking farmers. That we might taste the fruit. That we might receive the prize. That we might get the medal and rejoice at the end of the war. That when we stand before you and we cast our crowns at your feet, we will have something in heaven to worship you with not the chaff of this world that will just blow away. Help us, Lord, to be those kind of men. Build us, build your church, glorify Christ. Take us the rest of the day in all of our different directions. Glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.